As we mentioned at the top of the program, we're going to go back to our, uh, I think, our, our most prolific guest ever, Sean most Minton. Most requested guest ever. <laughs> well, welcome back to the program, Thank Sean. You. Thanks. We should remind our listeners, you, you're a pro. You were, for many years, a sports reporter up in the Pacific Northwest and can speak authoritatively on many areas of sport. But just remember that every time you have me on, that gap between when I was doing this and now I'm not grows further and further. Well, we feel we need to keep your hand in. <laughs> Can you get me into some games or something then? Come on. We give me a press pass. We have no pull whatsoever. <laughs> You're kidding. No, I'm sorry to say it's true. But, uh, yeah, we, and we, yeah. but uh, you know, I want to talk about something we mentioned many years back. Uh, this issue of what happened in the playoffs with the Kings and the Lakers. We're now revisiting this. It's been all over the web, all over the papers. Marcos uh, Breton has said, well, we should just sort of forget about it which doesn't seem very smart to me. I mean, if there's been some bad officiating, we should talk about it. So let's. So, so what happened? Well, uh, Tim Donaghy, who was an NBA referee for years and years and years, has already admitted that on several occasions he basically fixed games and bet on games by deciding the outcome, which is it's actually, if you think about it, it's pretty easy for an official to do that. If the game is close and you've got money on a certain way, blow the whistle a couple extra times, a couple extra fouls, a couple extra free throws, and next thing you know, you've you know you've probably covered your spread, or you've done what you need to do to to win those games. Let's mention that in a minute. I mean, there was a big there was a big scandal, I guess, back in the '60s, where where sports teams, college teams, didn't actually throw games, but they would take there'd be a bet that they'd be so much on a spread, and then they would they would shave the points to where it was actually closer. They still won, but they won by two rather than by. 21. Right, and that's still happening today uh, in certain levels in college basketball as well. There have been some accusations and some people admitting that uh, that they've done some point shaving. Some, you know, fairly big schools too. Kansas was one of them, and um, I want to say there was a Pac-10 school here in the last couple of years too. But I, I would have to go back to, uh, through my brain almanac, and I, I don't have that book opened right now. But it's something that's it's not just from the 60s, the 70s. I mean, this is this is ongoing with the NBA. They work so hard at, at this pristine image. I mean, David Stern, who's the commissioner of the NBA, has done, I mean, everything he can to, to milk the league, turn it into a league that uh, the whole world wants to watch, uh, but he's sterilized it a lot, too. And then, of course, this came up, and they jumped on top of it and denied everything. And uh, the fact is, the guy did what he said he did, and he's going to go to jail for it. So people are saying, well, this guy's not credible. I think that actually makes him very credible. Well, the latest accusations, the one, Doug, I think we'll get into in a couple of minutes with the Kings, um, this guy was basically standing up before he was, you know, going, getting ready to be sentenced to go to jail. Is there anything else you want to add before we throw you in the clink? Uh-huh. And that's when the accusations with the Kings-Lakers playoff series in 2002 came out. So a lot of people are saying it's just sour grapes. Uh, but the conspiracy theorists out there say, you know what, there just might be something to this. Well, you know, I, I was struck at the time, and I'm I'm very much not a basketball fan, but when I see guys like Ralph Nader coming <laughs> forward to say, hey, something smells bad about this about these uh, these playoffs, it certainly makes you wonder. Well, I don't think that an official would consciously say, you know, the, the, the folks in the, uh, the the big offices in the NBA really don't want the Kings there. So I'm going to purposely call. I mean, I know that the discrepancy with the free throws at the end of game six was, was like 23 to four in the fourth quarter. Both the Kings centers fouled out. So you can talk conspiracy all you want. But I just think, but I got to believe that subconsciously, these officials were saying to themselves, 
this it would be a terrible matchup between the Kings and anybody who would come out of the East because the Kings, you know, Sacramento's the smallest or second smallest maybe after Portland in terms of markets. And even though they've got a few big names to Sacramento folks, you know, Mike Bibby and, and uh, Chris Weber and Vladi at the time, to a nationwide audience, these guys are nobodies as the Lakers are trying to continue a run where they won three consecutive championships. Somewhere in their minds, there was something going on, whether they want to admit it or not. I can't say, but there was something going on. Well, one of the reasons that, that I loathe basketball <laughs> is, is the fact that, you know, unlike almost every other sport, they're constantly interrupting the action. And all of a sudden, you know, you got three seconds to go in the game the last 15 minutes as they're having a ball that's here. And they're, they're, they're like, uh, they're all of a sudden, all of, like you mentioned, like a 20, 21 to four free throws based on fouls that, you know, people were complaining in this case, well, yeah, apparently this guy, you know, struck his arm with his jaw <laughs> and that, that elicited a foul. But, I mean, it seems like a particularly easy sport to, uh, to throw basketball. Yeah, let me touch on something that you mentioned, and that is um, how uh, commercialized basketball has become. I've been to, you know, between my time with the Blazers and the Sonics, I've been to probably a couple hundred basketball games. And the artificial noise and everything they do to try to bring the fans in, that to me is the most annoying thing because for the most part, if you're at game 53 of an NBA game, especially with a team that maybe is not going to make the playoffs, it's dead quiet. You can literally hear the shoes squeaking on the court. You can listen to the coaches calling the play. It's just a, I mean, it's a morgue in there. And so what they do is they pipe in the music, uh, the hand clapping just, you know, they do all these things to try to hype it up. So if you're watching it on TV, the illusion that you get is, wow, this place is rocking. But when you look out into the crowd, you know, it's half full. You know, the little kids falling asleep on their dad's shoulders. It's like the seventh inning of a baseball game. That that really irritates me uh, mostly about basketball because I think of all the sports, um, that's the worst in terms of trying to drum up uh, fake excitement. It reminds me of like Congress at one point. They, they, they passed a law where they couldn't pan the camera over the gallery because you'd see these guys are giving a speech and there's like six people yeah, from Des Moines like nine in the back row. In there. Yeah, that's 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 the you know college basketball is very exciting. College football is very exciting, but um, you know especially when it comes to basketball, it's just so sterile most of the time. It's extremely boring, and uh, they just do whatever they can. And again, that's all David Stern. I mean, everything is perfectly timed so that everybody thinks that there's there's something more exciting going on than there really is. Well, are, are they going to, uh, is there going to be an investigation of this, or are they just going like, to sweep this under the rug? No, there's not going to be an investigation. In fact, um, they've already talked to the, the, the King's owners, the brothers, and, and some, you know, you've, you've seen it in the paper, too, with, uh, with some of the, the folks that do the editorializing. I don't think anybody believes that, that, that there was a conspiracy to allow the Lakers to win. It's six years ago. I mean, what are you, you going to do? You're going to make them replay? You're going to bring Shaq back? <laughs> Guy can hardly walk anymore. There's uh, there's nothing that can be done about it anyway. And so even if it was proven, what are you going to do about it? There's nothing you can do about it. Well, I, I guess, but back in 1919 when, they, when the Chicago White Sox <laughs> threw the World Series, I mean, they, they bounced these guys out of baseball and they, uh, they made a real effort to, to clean up the game after that. They did. But, but again, that was, I mean, that was taking bribes and that was, you know, seven or eight of nine players on the field admitted to doing it. A couple of them didn't. But I, I just don't, I don't think the players were involved in this. So I don't think okay. you can say, right. you know, uh, Kobe Bryant was paid this or Shaq was paid. It was just officials subconsciously 
allowing the outcome to be determined. I don't think they did it blatantly. All right. And by the way, the person that wrote that book about Eight Men Out, which was a pretty good movie with John yeah. Cusack, that was book it was was written in the '60s. It took him like 30 years to get around making the movie. Well, you know the other, the thing about the the Black Sox is was that Shoeless Joe Jackson? Or yeah. The, you know he had never he had a uh, during that series he was batting like 427. He had all these home runs, no errors, and yet just like everybody else on that team, he was basically excused from the game. It does sound like some guys were sort of brought, some guys actually were innocent in that case. Yeah. Well, back at the time, the other thing is you got to remember that professional athletes, when they weren't, you know, when they weren't playing their sport, they were selling insurance, they were pumping gas. I mean, if someone came up and said, you know, here's a grand, here's two grand, let that ball go between your legs, I can absolutely see where that's going to happen. These guys today, 15, 16 million bucks a year. I mean, how much money would it take to bribe somebody? to miss a free throw or to you know score 10 points below their average good point and i wanted to while we're talking about that site a statistic i've been sitting on here from the new yorker noting that last year's average major league baseball salary was 2.82 million dollars and they did the math for the 99 innings he pitched for the yankees roger clemens who was the highest paid pitcher was paid two hundred thousand dollars per inning which works out to about a million dollars a game. Yeah. Well, Roger's a smart guy. I mean, he didn't start pitching until the season was halfway over. Um, the Yankees needed a lot of help, and then he got injured again. He's just, yeah, he was a guy, you know, who, who basically last year he played, but he didn't have to travel with the team when he wasn't pitching. He got to go back home to Houston when he wasn't pitching. I think the Yankees are idiots for allowing all that to happen, but, you know, they once you go over a certain point with your salary, now you've got, you've got a, um, um, a royalty that you have to pay on on your payroll and all that stuff, but the Steinbrenners have so much money they they don't care about anything like that. They just want to win. Let's talk about some follow up on Major League Baseball. You speculated, I think, last time you're on that Barry Bonds would likely not play once he left the Giants in the last season, and he hasn't played this year. Nobody's picking him up, and it looks like he may actually face the music in court. Yeah, I, he's gone back to court again and and talking again, you know, in terms of federal charges of perjury, but. I, you know, I'd love to sit here and just pat myself on the back and say I'm the only one who is smart enough to think that. When you look at the distraction that would, he would cause on the team, uh, his current problems going on, and the fact that he's just kind of an a-hole in general. Well, he's enormously unpopular with yeah. his teammates. Yeah, yeah. here's a guy. He's got the Barca lounger. He's got the <laughs> flat screen TV. He's got nine lockers. And, you know, next to him, you got some rookie who's you know, making Wait, is 900 that, is grand. is that true? He's got nine lockers? Well, he's, I think he's got three lockers. But the reason that it is is because he has a recliner. Well, you know, a locker's like, what, 12 inches wide. So well, I was telling you when I was, with the, when I was covering the Mariners, Griffey Jr. did the same thing is they just basically pandered to everything the guy wanted. And they're superstars, and they, you know, they deserve a certain amount of respect. But then it's also, you know, supposedly it's a team sport. There's nine guys on the field. But, you know, when you look at the locker room and you see the disparity between the haves and the have-nots, even amongst millionaires, it's kind of ridiculous. Well, yeah, I mean, if the average salary is $2.82 million, everybody's a millionaire who's playing. Well, you know whose fault that is, right? That's everybody's fault who goes to those stupid baseball games. All right. I mean, the set. Uh, I think uh, uh, the average ticket price at Fenway Park is it's like sixty-four dollars. So you know, wow. if you want a box seat, you're talking about a couple hundred bucks. If you want to sit up in the cheap seats, it's probably thirty bucks. And uh, you know, for for people who love baseball, you know, it's all this association with their childhood and the history of the game. But these guys today, 
are nothing like the guys of yesterday. So if you're going to a game and trying to make memories with your kid, you, you know, it's just how much should I charge on the visa? Why is my windshield broken in? Where's my GPS system? Now, those are the memories you make at a sporting event now. You know, we were going to do an obituary uh, on this show about uh, a legend of sports, Jim McKay. But since you're here, Sean, let's let's go let's go to the obituary in our second segment instead of our third segment to uh, talk about the passing of Jim McKay. Let's 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 talk about him because I think he really was a very good reporter. He was really, um, and I've I've been hearing guys like Bob Costas and um, and some of these guys at CBS and the people that have followed guys like him. Unlike a lot of the guys today, he didn't put himself before the event that he was covering, and I'm sure we'll talk about Munich in a second. But um, when you used to watch him, he used to do things like, you know, back when when you you probably remember this, oh, yeah. ABC's Wide World Sports, like bowling was king, <laughs> and a lot of those like um, well, Irish wait, Olympics wait. where they throw the logs <laughs> and stuff like right. that. Right. To, to quote from the obituary in the Week magazine. Uh, Invoking the show's signature line, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, he trotted the globe for stories, offering up not only such standards as the Masters and the Indy 500, but the likes of log rolling, barrel racing, cliff diving, and the high-flying exploits of motorcycle daredevil Evil Knievel. I loved the barrel jumping. It was the most insane, (laughs) arcane, uh, just the most ridiculous thing that you could... It's just guys... Throwing themselves in the air on a basically on a hockey rink and trying to clear what 12, 13 barrels, inevitably having to land on their butt or their <laughs> face. No, there was no ramp. I mean, when you landed, you landed on your butt or your face, and they made a sport out of that. Well, you know, to me that was like that was like like this all these phony reality shows. I mean, that was real reality yeah. shows. Yeah, and people would try. I mean, and this is this is worldwide stuff. It's like the World Championships in Norway. So someone from. Lake Placid would fly to Norway to try to jump over barrels so they could land on their butt somewhere <laughs> in Norway. And there were groupies, and it was it was really... I, I loved the way that they hyped that kind of stuff up because it, for me, you know, at that point, I'm, I'm 10, 12 years old, and I got into bowling because of that. I never got into barrel jumping, but <laughs> I remember all that oddball stuff. It's the same stuff that ESPN... When they started in 79, they were just looking to fill time. And you could find ridiculous stuff like that. Right. Now, of course, they own everything. But I really enjoy that. And he never, even though he had to know in his mind, this is the most ridiculous thing I will ever do. <laughs> he brought some dignity to it. And, and he, he made you feel not stupid for watching it. I, I think it was it was captivating You yeah. watching this stuff. And, and, of course, I think I don't know if we mentioned this a long time ago, you and I. I think we may have made a passing mention the fact that one of the greatest visuals in the history of TV sports was the beginning when they showed this guy biffing it, trying to go off the ski ramp. Yeah. And he goes, heads I mean, younger listeners may not remember this, but I mean, it's like it is one of the all-time pratfalls. And you, you swear this had to be fatal. Well, I mean, when you set it up, uh, the ski jumping in general is just insane. You go down this ridiculously <laughs> steep hill and then there's a lip at the bottom right. of it and you, you launch airborne. yourself and it's all in meters of course so you never know how far they actually went but <laughs> in this particular case the guy's coming down and 
he gets out you know there's a little track really that you have to have your skis in to launch and if you come out of that track right before this guy's going to take off he gets out of that track and just starts pummeling and it's and, and believe it or not the guy was okay apparently apparently he came out of it just he fine did, but, but that's he what will, makes it so much even better because it looks like this this they had to kill the guy it, so when you think of the agony of defeat for, <laughs> yes, for folks like exactly. us that is yes. always how we will remember it <laughs> yes. and that was his voice too that was doing the opening there and again making that compelling to watch the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat uh more seriously, you mentioned you mentioned um, the Munich Olympics, and of course that's that's considered to be one of his finest hours when the t- tense moment happened and, and the real world intruded on the Olympics all too you know solemnly. Well, they didn't have any news people there covering the event, so here's the guy who's who's you know covering track and field and things like that, basically you know thrown in front of a camera for like eight. 10 hours and you know one of his classics lines is you know they're dead they're all dead you know when they found out that the Israeli athletes had all been killed and again he he didn't try to overhype it he didn't try to put himself in front of the story and and that like the um, Al Michaels line during the 1980 Olympics you know do you believe in miracles when the U.S. hockey team won I mean, that's one of those things that really just kind of carried him the rest of his career he did such a great job he always stayed in sports but um, he always recognized how important that was for the world when he did that. Well, it, it's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, Bernie Ward, uh, well, he's he's in quite a bit of trouble right now over at uh, KGO, but I remember he did a great uh, talk a few years back when he sort of got shanghaied into covering a news story with the Oakland A's. And he went over there, and it was a serious matter, but I, I, I don't remember what it was, actually, but he was asking hard questions, and he was looking around and watching all these sports guys, and it was like, these guys did not know how to ask a hard question. They just did not know how to do any real reporting. He was very, uh, very indignant, and I think really correct in what he was saying. That's why I used to love to cover sports, is because you don't have to ask. <laughs> uh, I remember one time the, uh, the Pacers were playing the Sonics, Larry Brown, uh, one of his 87 coaching jobs in the NBA, and uh, at the end of the game, uh, the Pacers had the ball. They were down by three, and they never ended up putting a shot up. They had about eight seconds. And I said to Larry Brown, it looks like your team gave up on you. And I was, you know, 27 at the time. And this guy gave me a look that, you know, one of those if looks could kill. That's uh-huh. the last tough question I ever asked in a press conference. Because after that one, I'm not putting myself through this. Because you pretty much get the cold shoulder if they if they think you're a troublemaker. That's the other thing. But I you know I don't I don't mind people going up and asking tough questions. The other problem with today's athletes is most of them are so stupid <laughs> that you can't ask anything other than the standard. Uh, tell me about the game. Hey, you know the count was this. I mean, if you were to say you know what do you think of the upcoming election or were the problems in China or you're just going to get a blank stare because most of the guys these days, and there are some exceptions, but most of the guys these days would just kind of look at you and they would know what you're talking about anyway. Well, we have an Olympics coming up uh, this summer, and I, we're, we probably don't have time to really get into that much, but I'm hoping maybe in about uh, two or three weeks you can pop back and give us a preview about, because there's a lot of politics going on this year, more than usual. Yeah. I'll bring a respirator with me, <laughs> and we'll talk about pollution and human rights and this, uh, there's big controversies with the with the swimsuits that some of the swimmers are going to be wearing and how many records are going to be broken because they have these yeah these high-tech suits that allow you right. to actually kind of like shark uh yeah uh shark skin you go one way through the water yep no we'll get into all that stuff we'll spend hours with it doug <laughs> hours well i'm looking forward to it sean mitten it's always a pleasure and and you need to come back real soon so we can talk about those very things you bet all right 
spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World of Sports.